Hey guys, today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Universal Orlando Halloween Horror Nights. Universal Orlando's Halloween Horror Nights brings together stories from the world's most notorious creators of horror. Select nights September 14th through November 3rd in Universal Studios, Florida. You will face terrifying haunted houses, including Netflix's Stranger Things and more. Plus, experience sinister scare zones, outrageous live shows, and some exhilarating Universal Studios attractions. Learn more at orlando.halloweenhorrornights.com. Hey guys, happy Thursday. Welcome to a re-up edition of The Watch. Couple headlines to get through before we get to today's show. Today's show is a mailbag with me and Chris. Thank you so much for all the great questions you submitted on Twitter and on our popping Facebook group. They mean a lot to us. They're really insightful and they're a lot of fun for us to answer. So we went through a lot of those. Chris is, as you may have guessed, not in the studio today. He is still in Philadelphia where he has been serving as Markel Fultz's life coach. That's working out well for him. He will, he will be back next week. Um, big week of shows for us. We are going to be getting right back into Killing Eve. We're going to catch up with Trust. Guys, I watched season three of Better Call Saul, so I'm ready to talk about it. I don't know if anybody else is. Um, also on Monday, we are going to discuss some news that broke today, Thursday, uh, USA announced its new slate of pilots, and there is a show there that is going to be of special interest to watch fans, Treadstone. It is the Jason Bourne without Jason Bourne show, and we're very excited about it. Also, I'm excited that my show, Briar Patch, executive produced by Sam Esmail, was also announced. That is a pilot for real I'm getting to make, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Um, I will be happy to answer questions about it, such as that I can on Monday. And I'm sure Chris has a lot of thoughts about the pickup basketball scenes that I am hastily cramming into the already written script. Also, one more heads up and bit of news. On Thursday, we are going to be with you for the next edition of the Double Down Book Club. That means you have one more week to read a modern masterpiece, The Last Good Kiss by James Crumley. We're going to have a special guest in the studio to talk about it with us. This is one of our favorite books. Cannot wait to have the discussion, so please get on it if you haven't already. The Last Good Kiss by James Crumley. That's all I got for you. Let's get into today's episode of The Watch. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. Joining me in the studio with a bag of mail over his shoulder like Santa Claus... It's Andy Greenwald! Big day for us, buddy. We're recording back in time. I look at you, I think Santa Claus. Is that what you think? Yeah, so we're recording this on Thursday for next Thursday. So you're here, no, let me do it the back way. You're hearing this on a Thursday. Yeah. We it's recorded just a, this a week ago. A week ago, so who knows what, what might have changed in the world. I hope Scott Pruitt is still having a steady hand at the EPA. God, That's all I Real hope. estate's so tough in Washington. Are you showing me something here? Yeah. Is I this just, a new Sicario poster? Yeah, live on air, I'm showing Chris the new Sicario Day of the Soldado poster. The roses really give it a, a nice, it's, it's a softer thing because they want to appeal to, you know. Ladies. Yeah, to the ladies. Guys, today is a mailbag episode. Uh, we really, really love getting these uh, questions and comments and messages from you. The Facebook page has been phenomenal. Uh, that's facebook.com slash the watch pod. You can join the group there and get in on the conversation. The conversation doesn't even always have to be about the pod stuff. I it's, mean, I, people just kind of have like lists going and they're talking about stuff they recommend if you like this. So it's a and, really fun community. And can I say, I may have dipped in just a glance because I was feeling a little self-conscious about... Um, the temperature. You're weird about this. You should my, just you should just rock it. I love to jump in and my just be like, yeah. Regarding a recent Steven Spielberg film. Oh, you were worried that the Ready Player One heads were going to come for you. 
Baranski Hive had my back. I really appreciated yeah, that. That's right. I, I really appreciate that's it. Right. I, I felt very, very welcome in the Facebook group dedicated to our fandom. So the following questions come from our Facebook and Twitter pages. Be sure to follow us uh, at The Watch Pod, mm-hmm. facebook.com slash The Watch Pod. And be careful that at The Watch Pod, though, producer Zach Mack will clap back at you. Yeah, I noticed that Zach gets a little feisty. Zach gets a little, he mixes it up on Twitter. Zach has like, you know, he's got that special nighttime tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does. He He just logs in. Um, Andy, let's get started. You've got mail. So this one comes from Ernie. Uh, Zach has marked this high priority. Is this Ernie Klein, author of Ready Player One? (laughs) No, E-R-N-Y. Ernie wants to know, story-wise. Yeah. What would it take for you to be really into Westworld this season? And let me just say, you are on the record, duly noted, everybody knows you're not a fan. Is there, like, sincerely anything that you would be curious about from this season? And keep in mind, it's Tandy Newton. It's Tandy Newton. Yeah. I was right about that. No, I was right about that. No, I told you it was Tandy Did I say Tandy? Yeah, man. Fuck. Thank Alexa Fogel stepping in to right. regulate on that one. What would it take for you to be really into Westworld this season? I sincerely? would like to find out once and for all. I can tell this is not a sincere answer. What the status of Laura Palmer is. You know, there was. <laughs> we know that she died in the original My series. My guy, come on. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, for real, for real? Yeah. Give me a human being character mm-hmm. with some sort of emotional stakes or journey. What I mean so by Jimmy this is, Simpson Chronicles. Oh Jesus! Listen, ostensibly that's what the first season was, but because the show was a closed loop, it was showing us something to. It created the Jimmy Simpson backstory to solve a problem of the Ed Harris character. I did not really believe in. I was not at all interested in his development because, again, we don't really know who he is, other than he is a convenient white hat who literally puts on a black hat at the end of the season to become the character we've already seen. If he is the only and stop me on this. Is he the only prominent human character in the park at the beginning of the second season? I don't because know. Because everyone else is either a robot or what? I think that there was a killed. couple of those security guards, like the Hemsworth oh, kid. There's a Hemsworth bro. And what was it? Shannon? Oh, we never knew what happened to her either. Shannon uh, Woodward? Is that the actress's name? Anyway. I think that there was, a, there, was an, there was a couple of security guards that were out about and about. We don't really know if Shannon Woodward's coming back. There was the Hemsworth kid who is definitely in the trailers. I, 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 I've never, I've never felt the need to have uh, my humanity represented in Westworld. That's not really what's interesting to me about what, it. Yours or any humanity, though. I, I don't mean, care. But, but the show is, it claims to be about what it means to be human, and yet it does not seem to be able to establish it has any firsthand knowledge of what it means to be human. Ernie, so, you didn't ask me, but for me, story-wise, let's get some samurais going. I knew you were going to say it. Ah, what an easy mark. Ernie also asks, at what point, if any, do you think you'll be completely and entirely checked out on the MCU? Now, this is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, we may at times, as might anyone, give sort of the vibe that this is a sort of a signed, it's a signed reading. Like, we don't really like these movies. It's, it's just the, if they weren't so culturally prevalent, we would never talk about them, that they're kind of just inane. Um, I've definitely gone through uh, that period of time with these movies. I've, I've gone through that phase with them. I would say around Ultron, I was just like, I can't, I can't really rock with these. <laughs> but I have to say that uh, takes aside on what, which ones are better or worse or whether I completely was over my head over heels for them, that we've been on a nice little run with these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that especially with uh, Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, they're very entertaining. So I, I don't find it to be uh, too, 
too, and too laborious to talk way. about them. Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, right, exactly. And I should use this to, 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 to directly respond to some comments I've got in the past. I watched, I actually did finish Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, better not on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I, th- after the noisy opening sequence, which is just, I mostly remembered on the plane is Dave Bautista just bellowing in my ears. Yeah. I kind of liked the movie. And the reason I liked the movie was, I think, maybe in a small part, why I it's hard for me to bail on this shared collective universe. Why can't you quit universe. them? In many ways, that was as personal a movie uh, as you're going to see in a $200 million tentpole. I mean, it was very bizarre and very sort of sloppy emotionally, but very funny. And that's James Gunn, man. That was a James Gunn movie. Sure. In the same way that... Um, you know, difficult to pick out CGI fights aside, Black Panther was a Ryan Coogler movie. They figured out a way to make these both macro and micro, to make them um, financially viable and on some level, obviously not ideal for everyone, but on some level artistically viable. And I would say also that if this does, if Infinity War does mark the end of a certain era of these films, I am curious what's next. Not just to see Brie Larson does in a spacesuit. Does he get them but stones, though? <laughs> The stones, the stones are what they are. But you guys be, can't see the stones are what they are. The whole thing is like, look at. I don't care about. Look at the flick of the wrist. Yeah, look at, what was that? What was that great song? Look at wrist. Remember that wrist song? Yeah, like, yeah, it's a good song. Um, is that in the new trailer? The that that song? Yeah, no, it's not. Do you think Berlin? the new trailer is like Captain America almost getting punched in the face by Josh Brolin and it being like this guy's dying? And then guess what Brolin does? He punches him all the way to Broadway. <laughs> he punches Henry Cavill's mustache onto his face. He punches some sense back oh. into him, so he gets back together with Jenny Slate. All <laughs> okay, jam session. Here is uh, my other thought: is this to be a fan of the Marvel universe and comics, which I was and kind of am for a very long time. Part of the fandom is to see how many ways they can develop this and new iterations and new versions of these characters, new takes on the characters to mimic the times or the tastes of, mm-hmm. the, of whatever era. And it has been interesting in the last 15 years. Marvel's kind of in the toilet in a lot of ways right now, comic-wise, publishing. Mm. But the previous 10, 15 years, when basically they rediscovered a lot of what made these characters great and previously obscure characters like Captain Marvel, um, uh, like... Um, Hawkeye, Vision, people who have characters who have just been completely reimagined in exciting ways or recast. I mean, there are two Hawkeyes in the Marvel Comics universe, which is maybe one of the reasons why the comics are like no Hawkeyes in the movie universe. Yeah, exactly. Um, If they reach a point where they can, and I think they're trying to test the waters, recast, reimagine these characters and continue to sort of evolve. That's interesting to me both creatively and as someone who watches the business. Yeah, so, I, I don't want to belabor it, but by that same token, I'm curious to see whether or not there's any behind-the-camera uh, changeover. So you've got the Russo brothers. You'd have to imagine that after the Avengers that they're probably— After the next Avengers? After the next Avengers, yes. which I think they've already shot, right, or in Unclear. wrapping up, that they would move on to other things. There have been rumors about Kevin Feige moving on from MCU, but I, I don't know if that— I don't know why he would do that. But the question is, is that can they continue to fill backfill talent behind the camera the way they have over the last few years by finding interesting filmmakers to give given you know a twist to Doctor Strange? Honestly, if if the Josh Trank and Colin Trevorrow stories were cautionary tales to um, would be Wonderkin directors, Ryan Coogler's success 
has to outweigh that in people's minds. Absolutely. Okay. If, if you have the opportunity to navigate those very, very um, choppy corporate waters, I mean, why wouldn't you reach for the biggest golden ring of all? Competent-ish asks, what show would you have wanted to be in the writer's room for yeah, or at the very least ordered lunch with? Now, I have an obvious one and a obscure one. What do you, you have? What do you have? I, I, my my I, answer I think we have the same, is the same answer. Uh, it's The Wire Season 3. It is the murderer's row of murder writers. David Simon, Ed Burns, Richard Price, George Pelicanos, Joy Lusco, Rafael Alvarez, uh, a notoriously feisty writer's room. Yeah. Very competitive. Yep. A lot of machismo Um, in that room. But the idea, I think that there was one point that Pelicanos, Burns, Simon, and Price were like, like, oh, and Dennis Lehane. Lehane? And Dennis Lehane were off in like some cabin somewhere breaking down season three uh, to be a fly on the wall would have just been amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think in our conception of what could be great about a writer's room, I mean, just seeing writers who we admire so much individually trying to bring their talents together and how that would work and how that wouldn't work. This is not an example of a room that we would want to be contributors in because that is terrifying. But it, just to be around it and see how each of their minds work distinctly and in tandem would be incredible. Going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Somebody just hears this. They're like, maybe I should read some of their books. Best George Pelicanos book. Um, what we did in the book club, I would say Sweet Forever. I would say if you're going to look for a Richard Price book, read Lush Life or Clockers. Yeah, although I will always ride for a non-crime book by him called Ladies Man. There you go. I mean, you can't go wrong with Richard Price. And then for, for Lahane. Den- Dennis Lehane, what are you going to go? Um, for Dennis Lehane, I-, I think... Drink Before the War? or I mean, if, if you want his... The Gone Baby Gone series, which is now going to be a TV series for Fox, apparently. Oh. Um, the Kenzie Gennaro books. That starts with A Drink Before the War. That is a great crime novel. He's evolved in his own writing and he's best probably known still for mystic river for mystic river i really 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 i know it maybe was tarnished for some by the affleck of it all but but live by night is a great gangster book i actually would also throw out and this is for maybe more golden age centric fans breaking bad because we champion and we celebrate a lot of shows from the last 15 20 years not all of those shows no show runs smoothly all the time but not all of them were um, roses and backpats behind the scenes either. Sure. I don't actually know the day-to-day of Breaking Bad, but from what I can gather, from what I've heard, from what we've, what these writers have said, and then from this sheer consistency and lack of turnover, that seems like an incredibly healthy working environment. And they produce something so clean They're and entertaining. They're absurdly uh, nice about each other, yeah. They still are, right. And so Vince Gilligan, um, unlike a lot of the difficult men, um, quote intended, who who ran a lot of these great shows. I mean, he seems to be just a nice guy. And it it matters in the scheme of things that uh, Ozymandias, you know, the greatest, many would argue the greatest episode of, of Breaking Bad um, and, you know, one of the great episodes of, the, of this century mm-hmm. uh, was was uh, written by Moira Wally Beckett, who was on staff for many years as a producing, producing writer. I'm sure Vince Gilligan had input in the episode. I'm sure all of the other people in the room did, but he always made sure the writer who was assigned the episode got credit for it. And I think that to see that work and also create something great is kind of inspiring. Uh, Robert Baratheon asks, I would love to hear Chris Ryan elaborate on his hashtag no beasts (laughs) views. Does this apply only to anthropomorphic creatures, just computer generated or animated too? I have so many questions. I'll, I'll give you the, the broad strokes. I don't really believe entirely in this, like, Freudian idea that childhood is, like, what makes you and that anything that happens in your childhood, like, like, that's where, like, everything is formed. But I will say this. When I was young Chris, for sure, like, really young Chris, I saw this movie called Project X. 
yeah. with Matthew Broderick. Young Helen Hunt. Which involves a lot of like the, the I don't care remember if it's like the military or somebody is experimenting on apes. Mm-hmm. And Matthew Broderick is like friends with this ape and he's getting, getting you know, science experiments. For the it. young kids out there, it's like Rampage, basically. <laughs> it is like Rampage, except nothing happens. Uh, that, Gorillas in the Mist, never liked Bambi, always had an aversion to seeing, like having to consider whether or not animals have souls. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay. It sounds, I feel like you're giving away more than you realize, but go on, go on. No, I guess what I'm saying is that beasts in peril, beasts with souls, beasts with tragic backstories, anything that like that whole mix, I find incredibly manipulative. Did you see when you were a kid, mm-hmm. did you see the movie Greystroke, The Legend of Tarzan? Yeah, of course. With, uh, um, was it Christopher Lambert? Yeah. And Andy McDowell getting dubbed? As Jane, this is yes. a like classy Tarzan movie. Uh, that I saw, was yeah, I completely saw that in the theater. By, me too. It was written yeah. by Robert Town, but then he took his name off it. Yeah, to credit as P. H. Varzak. Anyway, this was an era before like common sense reviews or the internet, and my parents probably were like, "Oh, Tarzan, dope, Tarzan." Yeah, right. My dad was probably like, "I remember Johnny Weissmuller as Tarzan, sure. or whatever," and it took me to this movie, classic Mr. Greenwald. Yo, the monkeys of this movie tear shit up. Yeah. I am st- I am super traumatized by that. So that, movie. that, that this is why I'm not going to try and see Lean on Pete. You know what I mean? Like I just can't deal with an, an like. There's part of me that's very sympathetic to the plight of animals. I you couldn't see it. You couldn't and then there's it. another part of me that's like all the like beasts where it's like you just don't understand this monster is so complicated. I'm just like just that. Take that. Take all that insight. Mm-hmm. Into into this this thing psyche and mm. apply it to human beings. Like let's get more dramas about humans. Word. So you psyched about Samurai World? In yeah, Westworld? I am. By the I way, am. hypocrite. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that made any sense. Ultimately, it's a taste I, thing, I guess. I thought you weren't going to see Lean on Pete because the thought of Chloe Sevigny playing a non New Yorker was just just awful to you. I no, because if you've ever seen Bloodline, you know that Chloe Sevigny can play any region. Great call. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Her talent our... <laughs> has a passport. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Green Chef. Feel like the star of your own cooking show with Green Chef meal kits. Guys, Green Chef is a meal kit company that delivers everything you need to cook gourmet meals at home. With ingredients that are pre-portioned and mostly pre-chopped, they still let you do a little chopping so you feel like you're really in control. Green Chef saves you so much time in the kitchen. And the ingredients are USDA certified organic, so you can feel great about what you eat, how it got to your table, and that you're feeding it to your family, which is an issue. They even offer options for specialty diets like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. Best of all, the recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef's tips, and photos. You guys have already heard me say this, but I cooked these meals. I cooked a, uh, a, a soba stir-fry that was great. You already know how I feel about the Montreal steak seasoning on the delicious pieces of grass-fed beef they sent me. This is good stuff, and anyone can do it. Anyone can cook with Green Chef. The planning, shopping, and most of the chopping done for you, you can spend less time on dinner and more time marathoning Netflix shows or catching up on Killing Eve or all the other good shows that Chris and I love to recommend to you guys. Sign up today for a special limited time offer. Go to greenchef.us slash watch for $50 off your first meal kit. $50 costs more than most meals. That's great. That's greenchef.us slash W-A-T-C-H for $50 off. Do it. Support for today's episode of The Watch also comes from Microsoft Teams. 
Microsoft Teams is your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, your meetings, your files, apps, all in one place. Whether you're sprinting toward a deadline or sharing your next big idea, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Guys, Microsoft Teams is in Office 365. All you have to do is visit office.com slash teams to learn more. You've got mail. Andy, we are back. We're still doing mailbag today on The Watch. Uh, And Derek Ingram asks, with the Super Bowl victory of Philadelphia Eagles, the emergence of Ben Simmons, and now the Villanova national title, Philadelphia is currently having a moment. What reboot of a Philly set show would be the biggest network heat check to capture some of this positive momentum? Philly, starring Kim Delaney. Hack, starring David Morse. Or 30-something. The Mm. 30-something shout is outstanding. Yes. I would say that even... All all of these just pale in comparison to what has already happened and what I wonder we could trace the philosance to, Mm -hmm. which is Creed. Yes, thank you for that. That's all you got? You no, just feel I, like I thought you were going to jump in and say something about 30-something or Creed or Creed 2. I, I mean, just like that you just mic-dropped by saying Creed. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think that that was a vision, a respectful and positive yet scrappy vision of a city that we love very much. I – wait, did, you know that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's – yeah. that, was that canon in the, on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm just checking. Yeah. Because that's the one where Tom Brady dropped a pass. Oh, that that one was that when uh, Chris Long strip sacked that that punk. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, I mean, what would be the reboot? I guess to do the positive reboot, I guess they're suggesting that we would sort of, in, even though I think it's still going, you would shut down. It's always sunny in Philadelphia and reimagine it as kind of this is us. Yeah, like except everyone's just hugs at the end instead of doing the things they do on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's, this is, I appreciate the sincerity of this question, and that's why we're struggling with it, because it's so, even though we don't live there, this inability to sort of— Have they done Top Chef Philly? Uh, no, I wish they would. But this inability to sort of see the city as this beacon of positivity, it's just, it, it's, it's in us. It's I'm hard not, to I'm imagine. not getting my hopes up. I'm not getting carried away. Um, Chris no, Peck. I, have you watched Gabe Kapler manage a baseball team? <laughs> That's true. That's a real nice uh, bring you down to earth moment. Chris Peck asks, I'm someone who gets moved to tears easily by profound TV or movies, and I don't know how sensitive of your tear ducts are, but when was the last time either of you were compelled to cry at something on screen? Very easy answer, Chris. Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. Lady Bird got me going. Um, are you a crier, generally? Um, very specific things. Animals, clearly. Animals in distress. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Broderick holding hands with animals. There's what's the qual? It's it's Jason Kadem stuff, man. It's it's the. Oh, I yeah. mean, nothing brought me to my knees like Friday Night Lights. I'm oh, trying man. to think of of other stuff. I mean, want to have a catch dad field of dreams. Sure. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty susceptible to the very sentimental shit, man. I gotta tell you, I, I don't watch This Is Us, but I'm I I can I can be got hashtag Daddington for a moment, like. This is just where I live all the time now. Right. I basically can't take a car trip without listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. And so that almost every song I have to sort of just But isn't there the one where they're walking through like the graveyard or whatever? What happens to that one? uh, Hamilton the musical. It's about Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) I'm not talking. You're talking about like the Blumhouse (laughs) Isn't there one where they die? They're like, we're going to have our coffins here. We're going to have our gravestones together. Did you see like an off-brand Hamilton? 
<laughs> like, so, like some guy at Port Didn't Authority. Did you see Hamilton on 63rd and 2nd Avenue? It's like in Port Authority, he's like, yeah. I got Hamilton in my locker here. Yeah. This is, uh, we're going to have a graves here. 2.5 Hamilton, yeah. Um, well, no, the very end yeah. where yeah. it's just like, when spoiler alert, he dies in a duel. And Eliza has this whole song about like what she does in the 50 years she has left. And Washington's like, she tells my story, you know, and then I die. I, yeah. I cannot handle that. But look. Paddington 2 got me misty. Like, these movies that are aimed specifically at the tenderest parts of me and my kind get me all the time. But there were also, it can be it can be surprising as well because there were definitely moments in, let's say, The Leftovers at the end of last year, yeah. Twin Peaks The Return, where it, different kinds of crying. There's, there's, you know, manipulative crying like, like This Is Us, and I don't even mean that as a ding, because, but it's seriously, Kadem shows are built Structured, yeah, the weekly cry. You to, get, you to get, get it out yeah. to get that that part of you. But then there are other things that are so beautiful or surprising or sort of sideswipe you. Um, sort of like Chris Long did to to Tom Brady at a pivotal moment of the Super Bowl, where you're just not expecting it and it gets you. And that's that's what you watch for, man. Yeah, that's why you watch? I'm 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 an easy I'm easy to get. I'm easy to target. I think you know. I would say end of arrival really like just busted me up. You know, there's just stuff out there. What was the last time you just stared into a fire like Elio at the end of Call Me by Your Name? And just let just let it go. Like in it because it's disturbing or because No, you 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 had that kind of uh Oh Ladybird. Ladybird, I had to like gather myself for a second. All right, Gabe Lewin asks, just a quick question. I'd be interested in Greenwald Spielberg top fives. Now so this is from, Did you do one on the other podcast? Yeah, when I was on the big picture with Sean Fennessy. Sean Fennessy from The Ringer. Yeah. What was your top five? I did not listen yet. You ready? I, I'd like to know. Okay. Jaws. We're well, going one to five or five to one. One to five. I don't. We don't have to count down. I, there's no. I'm not pulling any punches with you, Greenwald. Appreciate that. Number one is Jaws. Interesting. Number two is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Number three is Empire of the Sun. Wow, that was going to be my joke. I was just going to come out with some fire Empire of the Sun takes. I saw that in the theater. That I did not understand that. Remarkable. Movie when I number saw four it. is Saving Private Ryan. Number five is Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is a good choice. I should probably have that on my list. What's my list, list? Is, my list was a little more like, what movies do I want to watch again and again? Okay. Um, I, I think that by nature, unfairly discounted Close Encounters of the Third Kind, unfairly discounted Jaws. I agree with you, Empire of the Sun, in my hazy memory of it, was pretty impressive. Um, Jurassic Park, I don't really want to watch again, but it was huge for me. I watch Jurassic Park once a year. Do you really? Yeah, I watch Jaws once a year. How does Jurassic Park still work for you? Like absolute gangbusters. Really? Yeah. When the when the fucking brontosaurus sneezes on him. What about the Wayne Knight in the rain part? It's a tough beat for him. You know, <laughs> my man. My man had the 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 shaving cream can. But he had all say, the eggs. Talk about talk about a surprisingly great decade for, <laughs> for, Wayne, Knight. for Wayne Knight. Had a really Wayne good Knight. Run. All his seeds set up for life off Seinfeld and Jurassic. I mean, that's a good look. Um, also. Don't sleep on Third Rock from the Sun. Wasn't he just lamping on that show too sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, number one, Raiders, um, because it's basically perfect. Um, yes. See, but you know what? Honestly, though, this is so hard, Chris, being asked to make a list of something in a pop cultural realm. Uh, I love Last Crusade. It's like, a, Last Crusade is the one that I think I underrated the most on my list, which in reality, like I would watch. If you were like Last Crusades on, I'd be like, let's just jam this out right now. I think, honestly, if I'm being honest, which I should be, I would. I don't want to put two Indiana Jones movies on the list, but Last Crusade would maybe even be number two because I love it so much. No problem. Um, Munich. Are you serious? Yes. Really? I would watch Munich again and again, except for the weird sex scene, but everything else. I love that movie. 
That movie. That's such a weird movie to love. Can I be clear with you about something? Yeah. For all the damage Gabe Kapler is doing to my brand, Munich helps. That's all I'm saying. My religious identity brand. This has been okay? a strange podcast. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you know another one that I just love and I think that is underrated? Uh-huh. Catch me if you can. Oh, it's delightful. I think that it is. Top, top three Leo performances? Yes, and yeah. I think it is effervescent. And because of that, it's easily discounted. In the Jurassic Park slot, I have E.T., Again, I don't really want to watch that movie again, but I saw that in the theater, and it basically helped define what I thought of as movies and did that for an entire generation. So it, I felt like it had to be there. Number five, clearly falling off since I've crammed three more in. That other, by the way, 2002, Peak Spielberg, Catch Me If You Can, and Minority Report. So you just, you just named a ton of Spielberg movies. That, okay, I, on the list that I made, <laughs> yeah. seriously, before sitting down with you and second-guessing myself. Raiders, Munich, Catch Me If You Can, E.T., Minority Report. That's a good list. I like that, and it's got some variety. Uh, Ben Ross asks, what else besides TV, music, movies, and books is interesting to you guys these days? Now, Ben is implying other pods, art, other mediums he doesn't know about. I, I, you know, most of my time, I would have to say, outside of that realm is dedicated to sports Mm -hmm. or my interpersonal relationships. Which are are suffering. I just want to be the first to tell you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as a representative of that part of your life. Um, I guess, I mean, I could name some artists that I've seen their work recently that I really liked. Did you see I, Jasper Johns at the Broad? I saw, well, I would recommend to any living human being to go see the Carrie James Marshall uh, retrospective if you, can, if you can see it. Yeah. It, that was uh, one of the, like, take my breath away moments of oh. the last five years for me. Wow. Yeah. I, um, you know what? I'm just kind of a, a chocoholic, but for politics, you know, I just love reading you're being, about you're being sarcastic. current events. I think they fill me with joy. Just um, you love you love uh, reading Maggie Haberman's Twitter feed and feeling super informed. <laughs> I do, I, like almost to a fault, like just um, a little bit too informed. Um, you know, I, I like I like food and wine, man. I like that's good. That's like, good stuff. I like I like reading about food. I like eating food, cooking food, watching shows about it. Um, I really do enjoy those things, and uh, and uh, yeah, wish we could find a way to fold that into the show. Chase Branch asks, "Why do I? I feel like I'm having a hard time with pretty easy words these days." Chase Branch asks, "If you could only have Netflix or HBO, which one are you picking?" Now, Chase, I think I see where you're going with this, mm-hmm. but this is actually a really fun hypothetical. So, whether it's like you only have 15 bucks a month to spend on one or the other. Or you, I prefer the desert island test here, which is you are going to a desert island and you can only have HBO or Netflix as your primary entertainment source mm. while you're there. Uh, which one would you take? Personally, mm-hmm. I gotta go Netflix because I have already seen yes. the best of HBO. I don't think that there's an HBO show that I'm like, man, one day I'll get to that. It's either I'm not going to watch it or I've watched it already. And HBO doesn't put out enough stuff to constantly be refilling the mm-hmm. coffers. So, you know, if I was hitting, say, uh, here and now season, I would just be kind of like, it's just me in this beach here in this desert <laughs> island. Netflix doesn't have that problem. Netflix puts, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's average, sometimes it's bad stuff up every Friday and you can have all these choices. And I would say at this point, Right now, Netflix has a lower ceiling than HBO. Yes. But a higher floor? Uh, Or at least the floor is there? Well, there's just so much. And there's the promise of so much more. And they are positioned to spend themselves into 
relevance for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that your Desert Island point is a good one. I agree with you. I, I think it would have to be Netflix just to just to um, just for the, just for the amount of choices that you could you could you could uh, enter, avail yourself of. But um, the Desert Island test, if you were coming into this blind, if you would just <laughs> this is a this is a tough beat, but you know. If, if you came from space and then immediately crashed on a desert island. <laughs> and you're like, get me Netflix. Get me something. Yeah. I would recommend HBO only because you could see so much of the best yes, of the best. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. If I was like, do you want the five HBO shows a year or the seven HBO shows a year or the seven Netflix shows a week? I'd rather I, roll my dice with the Netflix It's an shows. interesting model because if you're talking about the competition going forward for all of these services is really going to be the content library. That's what they're they're stacking up to to compete with each other um, going forward. But I think HBO's gamble, which might not prove to be enough, was trying to maintain hold the line of quality over quantity mm-hmm. and say that yes, Netflix will give you brand new choices fifty weeks out of the year, plus this enormous deep deep bench of all this other stuff that they've just acquired. There's got to be something there for you, but. You need to see The Wire. You need to see The Sopranos. You need to see Game of Thrones. We have it. And no one else is going to have it. Now, they've obviously let Amazon have some of it, which is an interesting choice and maybe an admission that that strategy just simply isn't going to work. But, um, yeah, it, if, if you are if you can only have one, I think you got to choose quantity. Last question. Ryan Aoko asks, with no Game of Thrones this year, what show will be taking the belt as the show to watch this spring and summer? Ryan, that's a good question. Uh there's a difference between what Andy and I probably think is going to be like the belt show. And I would imagine, you know, Atlanta has it right now um, in terms of its sort of centrality and relevance to the most amount of people while still being interesting. I personally would say Westworld. I know that Andy wouldn't. I think Handmaids has, a you know, a lot to live up to in its second season. I personally didn't love the mm-hmm. second half of the first neither, season. Neither of us did. Um, but those are the big ones without Thrones. I, I almost wonder whether or not there were some programming decisions made a year or two ago by some people to clear out for Thrones. And then now there's this Thrones hole that nobody is yeah. really occupying. Um, when Big Little Lies comes back, which I assume will be probably 19 at this point, right? It's filming. I mean, it's filming. It's shocking. Yeah. They, they theoretically could put this on the air in November. This could come back. Yeah. Um, they might not. Um, I, I I have a couple of that I'd throw out there, but they're not going to... This isn't actually going to happen. I, I'm curious to see if Yellowstone gets more traction than Waco did on the mm-hmm. Paramount Network. It stars Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a modern-day Western. They put a lot of money into it. Taylor Sheridan wrote and directed the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Director of, writer of Sicario, director of Wind River. I'm also very curious to see what happens with Jack Ryan. Yeah, Jack Ryan is an interesting play for any number of reasons. Um, but the big one is could be good. Yeah. Could just be entertaining and good. I think in terms of uh the con- in terms of this question and having the belt, I mean Amazon really wants not to have the belt so from bad. this podcast. Did you see the day that the 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 cost it's so like there was a report in the Hollywood Reporter about the the Lord of the Rings properties. Yes. And they had to pay 250 million just for the TV rights. Yeah. And once you and they have to have something out in 2 years. That's the the contract they signed was right. part of it was getting something to market. Once they do casting, production, everything, mm-hmm. they're looking at a billion dollar price tag for this thing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 wild. It, it's it's when the company mandate is to find the next Game of Thrones. Um, 
it, it's an interesting time, man, because all these people have been diverting enormous amounts of resources, creative and financial, precisely for that to that end, to be the new Game of Thrones, to take that to take that Iron Throne when it becomes available after next year. When suddenly the Jack Donaghy theory of just trying to make TV 1997 again by science or magic might be a better play. I promise you, politics aside, two seasons of a Re- Roseanne reboot is considerably cheaper than a Lord of the Rings play. Right. Uh, and getting just incredible returns for a, an old-fashioned network. Here's what I wonder. The NFL has recently gone through this uh, sea change where if you have a Carson Wentz, if you have a Russell Wilson, if you have a Jared Goff, a guy who's like a young quarterback who's typically the position that takes up the most of your salary cap, mm-hmm. uh, those guys can make $25, $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. If you have a younger quarterback who's on a bettered contract, you can do a lot more stuff with your offensive line and your defense mm-hmm. and your, your skill players. Does the same hold true for TV? Are the margins on Stranger Things going to get increasingly worse for Netflix because they're going to keep having to pay the Duffers probably more? Yes. They're going to have to pay these kids as they get older more and more than if they want to keep this the dream going. I'm sure this thing is that Stranger Things will probably end at four or five or whatever they've said. But I was wondering about something like Lost and how prohibitively expensive it might be to launch relaunch Lost. Yes. Because of what their quotes would be. Oh, you to mean do with that. the same people. Yeah. So my question about Lord of the Rings is Game of Thrones probably seems relatively inexpensive in its first season because for as expensive as all the sets and action must have been, it casts relative unknowns. It casts relative unknowns. And the other crucial thing about it, in and this is why it was a smart bet, even though it was to a large degree, people was seen as being very risky. The ex- really expensive shit was all coming. Dragons were not a thing right. until no. Later that was the, mostly people talking in castles, knowing that it was going to get more expensive. You know, TV shows. Uh, I, I hate use. I, I never say this word right, but amortize over time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they, they are budgeted differently over time. So the longer something runs, theoretically, you can make the margins work. But that was a smart bet because it was relatively, in the scheme of things, now inexpensive in the early seasons. Now it's outrageously expensive. Yeah, for sure, because of the renegotiated contracts and the enormous. Fire and Ice Dragons, but they ended there. Yeah, right. Amazon than is setting a new precedent. That's what I'm saying. They, Amazon's like starting there. Yeah, and you know, it, it it's funny. It, it I I almost was going to make a joke, but it's not a joke. If you if you start from a place of extremely expensive special effects, whether that is um, uh, Gollum and mm-hmm. elves or Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, yeah, right. If you start from a really expensive place, you are not only um, affecting the margins for everyone, you're really changing, you're changing the entire game. Because, I mean, and, and we've talked about this before, it's funny that we ended up in this conversation again, but it clearly is what interests us at the moment. Apple's entrance into TV has has a potential to change everything. And even though they have yet to make a television show that isn't- They're distorting the market. They're wildly distorting the market um, with the deals they're throwing out and the money they're making and the press releases they're putting out, which is partly their point to say like, look, we're here now, we're a serious thing, but it's changing everything. And and we're seeing these ripple effects everywhere, not just in Lord of the Rings, but in these mega deals that Netflix is handing out to creators, to uh, Kenya Barris, who seemed to be in like a ideal situation as a writer creator for ABC um, with Blackish in his portfolio to now saying, you know, feeling that he's in the wrong place yeah. and being, is it actively courted or subtly courted, whatever, making a move for Netflix. So 
we are in a land of giants and dragons now, and it will be very interesting to see what comes out on top and if the show with a belt has to have a budget to match. I don't know. Do you, uh, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I will be I'll be very interested to see how... Are we giving this podcast the Michael Clayton ending? A I think ambiguity? so. ambiguity? Uh, we will be back on Monday. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for your questions. Do you guys take care? Have a great week off. Thanks, Ransky's. man. I mean, Chris. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Green Chef. Feel like the star of your own cooking show with Green Chef Meal Kits. Green Chef is the meal kit company that delivers everything you need to cook gourmet meals at home, including organic ingredients and easy recipes. Plus, they're USDA certified organic, and they offer options for specialty diets like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. Sign up today for a special limited-time offer. You can find out what I already know about Montreal steak seasoning. Go to greenchef.us slash watch for $50 off your first meal kit. That's greenchef.us slash W-A-T-C-H for $50 off.